Alright, good morning. Well, has it been good or what? I mean, it just may be me, but wow, good worship. We certainly are grateful to have little David back. Thanks, Donnie, for a great job last week and for our special music. This weekend, last week, was just incredible. It really was. Great to be here. Well, you know, I'm sitting here with a lot of trepidation this morning. You know, the story is told about a golfer. And uh, he said, you know, the guy was really good that he was playing with. And he goes, I'll tell you what, kind of even the score. Let's, let's do, let's do, why don't you give me like two gotchas? He goes, what? He goes, two gotchas. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. So, so the good guy, the pro guy, like lines up, you know, on the tee, you know, and, you know, gets set here to go. And just as he's about to swing back, the other golfer reached back and I was like, he goes, gotcha. Of course, the guy's whoa, like that. He goes, that's one. Well, as I hear the microphones this morning, I'm just going, was it mine? At any moment, is it going to squeal again? I don't know. But if it is, I promise you, we'll kill it instantly. All right? And pick my handheld, and we'll go from there and play like an evangelist. All right? So anyway, thank you so much for being here. I bet you can tell we're in a series today called The Family Game. Okay? And and today is the game of risk. Now, we'll be giving all these games away on June the 30th. I, I guess next week, if I get around to it, we'll have a fishbowl on the uh, welcome desk. And you drop your name in there. And if you've been here this week and last week and next week, you know I put three chances in, okay? But we've got the game of risk today, the continental version of it. In fact, a reproduction of the game that came out in 1950. It's really a, it's another one of those really, really, really cool games. So I bought this. The lady said, you ever played this? And I said, no, I haven't. She said, well, it's pretty difficult, okay? Um, but it deals with world dominance. And here's what the objective of the game is, according to uh, the website. It says this. The primary object of the game is world domination, or to occupy every territory on the board, and in so doing, eliminate all other players. Let me rewind. I think it's really good. It fits right in with what we're talking about today. Let's just do it again. The primary objective of the game is world domination, or to occupy every territory on the board, and so doing, eliminate all the other players. And, and that's, that's a risky proposition. World conquering is a really risky thing. You know, it fits so well. You know, I asked Rebecca's permission. I said, hey, can I share a couple of stories today? And she said, hey, I'm in children's church. Knock yourself out. You know, so, so the first one is this. And you've heard this before, but I, I'm sitting there thinking, I've been going, this is just funny. It just really is. You know, I, I turned to preach, and I was still in the Air Force, you know, when I was pastoring. You know, that's kind of a weird thing. But we had to drive like 25 miles to church, okay? And you can imagine, uh, Rebecca would have been like two years old, and, and Jennifer would have been like one year old, a little bit less than one. It was really chaotic, okay? I mean, just crazy. You know, the, that Judy even survived those days is probably, you know, it's a direct attribute to God's grace, okay? So we would be getting the babies ready. Of course, I'm trying to be Mr. Spiritual, you know, I think my head screwed on right, so they're not going. And back in those days, I taught Sunday school, I led the worship, and I preached, and she kept the nursery after she played the piano. I mean, it was, it was the Taylor show uh, at the Quarles Baptist Church. We always thought it was a great name for Baptist Church, Quarles Baptist Church. And so, so we did that, and, and one day we're sitting there, it's actually after church, we're going back home, you know, and Becca had this real opposition to child seats. You know, they were just coming in, you know, and so I find something. Get in the seat. And so she did. You know, she got beat in and we started. And the sweet voice comes from the back seat. I'm standing on this. Okay. The truth 
exactly what happened. The strong spirited child, world domination. In fact, when she got a little older and could start stringing sentences together, you know, she became, you know, like, like six, seven, ten, twelve, somewhere in there, probably around twelve years old. The saying at the Taylor household was, again, a true story, give me my way and it'll be okay. That was Becca's mantra for living. Be okay, or give me my way, and I'll be okay. And that's like, that's the game of risk, you know? World domination, eliminate all the other players, it's my show, it's my gig, it's my deal. Now, here's what we also know, is that Jesus came along and totally rewrote the book on world domination. Totally rewrote the book about eliminating all the players and thereby winning. He totally rewrote everything. In fact, Go ahead and take your Bibles. This will be on the screen. But turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And here we see an overall, an overarching picture of how Jesus played out his life and how he played out his game. He really modeled something so well for us. Okay? In Mark chapter 10 and verse number 41. Now here's the setup. Okay? James and John had go to Jesus and said, Hey Jesus, you know, we're kind of like the inner circle, you know. we got something going on with you here that the other guys don't have. So how about when you become your king, that we get position number one and position number two, okay? Pretty, pretty bold, pretty bold. And, and so Jesus said, well, it's not mine to give, you know, I said to the Father, and you really don't know what you're asking for anyway. But then, unfortunately, the other players on the board got word of that, and they were really torqued at James and John for even asking this question. So this is Jesus' response to that. Here's what he said. And when the ten heard about it, heard, hey, James and John went and said, can we be number one and number two? They began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus says, you know how the world plays the game, world domination, you know, is to amass all the territories on the board is to dominate the world, okay, and thereby eliminate players. Might makes right. The one with the most money writes the rules. That's the way the world does it. And they're all going, yep, yep, that's exactly right. And you know what? A lot hasn't changed in 2,100 years. But then Jesus goes on and says this, Yet it shall not be so among you. He says, that's how the world does business, but it should not be that way among you as my followers, we have a different set of rules to go by. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. He also said this. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. So, so Jesus totally rewrites the rules for, for world domination, for the risks and all that's involved. And says, no, no. If you're going to be great, you've got to be willing to be a servant. If you're going to be great... You've got to be willing to be a slave. And this is like so much of Jesus' teaching is the exact opposite of what the world says. And that sets up our teaching for our husband and wife relationship. Now, Andy Stanley in a sermon called Future Family, a series uh, called Future Family, kind of you said, you know, you can sum up in, in very, very short, uh, short, short sentences the four things the Bible says about family life. You know, first off, he says this. Husband... You're supposed to love your wives. Check. Got that one? You know, Paul says that. We're going to talk about it a little bit today. Check. Got that. Wives, you're to submit yourself to your own husbands. That's right. Okay. Children, students, you are supposed to obey your parents. 
And then, really to dads, but the parents, but to dads, he says, don't frustrate, don't exasperate your children. And really, you stop and think, you know, Peter's writings and Paul's writings and, and Colossians and also Ephesians, that pretty well sums it up. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And hey, dads, don't frustrate your children. But here's the question. How does that play out in life? What does that look like in relationships? And that's really what we want to kind of do this week and next week and the next week is kind of see how that plays out. Now, back in Ephesians chapter 5, where your sermon sheet your bulletin wants to take us, we get to see today, okay, how that is playing out. Now, there is, now, now watch, there is one huge overarching principle, really, really, not just for family life, but for us as Christ followers, as believers in Jesus Christ, there's one huge overarching principle, and we find that in verse number 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what it says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word submitting, it means um, to put yourself under, to, to submit to authority, um, it means to show reverence and respect. Okay? So, notice who this is written to. Who's it written to? All the Christ followers. He says, you know, all of you guys, in verse 1, submit, put yourself under, become a servant to everyone else. And he even gives us a reason why that should be. Out of reverence for Christ. Because you are a Christ follower. Um, because Jesus died for you. Because you've experienced his wonderful grace. We are to be a submissive people. And that's the overarching principle, really, of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not what you expect. You know, you would expect it to be kind of like a religious thing. You know? You know the, the big mantra of Jesus is the religious thing. You know? Wouldn't, it be, wouldn't life be easier if, if our deepest spiritual deal was how often we attended church? Now, be honest. I mean, think how easy it would be. All you have to do is get up at 9 o'clock, you might as well come to let's say 8.45, um, let's say 845 and Sunday starts at night. And to really gauge your spiritual death is you get up at 845 or, or 830 and you come to Sunday school. Then you stay for worship. And then, like I say, then if you want to be one step above that level, you go to Sunday night church. Okay? And then to really like way deep, like you know, ready to be one of the apostles, then you come on Wednesday night. I mean, how, how cool would that be? How easy that would be. That's what we expect. Uh, maybe, maybe we need to go one step further and say, well, maybe the, the mantra of Christ would expect it to be, you know, how many rules we keep. Now, there's nothing wrong with rules. Rules have, I mean, the Bible is a rule book. It's just for our benefit. But, but how many rules we kept? I mean, the Pharisees had 620, I believe, different rules that they wrote. They had God's view, and then they added a bunch more to it, you know? And when, when again, when that be pretty easy, rules are pretty simple. You do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And that gauges where we are, you know, with Christ. But he didn't say either one of those. In fact, I still love it. You know, Jesus said, hey, the whole world is going to know you're my followers because you love one another. I mean, we really have gotten away from really what Jesus said. And so it comes back home. He says, submitting to one another, putting yourself under another person, uh, be willing to be under their authority, be, be willing to obey, in some cases, to follow them, okay? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, you first. 
the illustration, you're at the door. And there's 12 people behind you. It's being willing to, to open the door and say to all 12 people, come on through. You first. You know, Paul put it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 this way. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Again, there was rivalry in the apostles. Who's going to be first? Conceit means I'm the best. I'm the most important. And Paul says, don't, don't do anything out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. That's what submission is. Commit to, you know, considering others more important than you. And you know what's really cool? Jesus really modeled this. Jesus really was hard. In fact, let me just read it to you. Back in Mark, I teach up this first off. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, listen to this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Now next, pause. The Son of Man. Let me break it down for you. God in the flesh. God contained in a human body. We call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If anyone had a right to go serve me, it was Jesus. Come on, amen. I mean, he had the right, he had the privilege, he had the position, he had it all. He could have said, serve me, serve me. And yet, Jesus said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Oh, whoa, what are we going to do with that? I mean, you know, you can say, well, preacher, you're supposed to serve because you're a preacher or, or you're a deacon, so you're supposed to serve. But here's the deal. This is Jesus. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. In fact, then he goes a step further. It really gets hairy. He goes, in fact, to give my life a ransom for all the other people. Come to give my life so that you and I can experience God's grace and forgiveness. How incredible is that? So Jesus not only gave the mantra, okay, he laid it down, he exercised. You all remember the story. You know, it's, 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 it's night before, it's Thursday night before Friday when Jesus dies, you know, and they're doing the Passover thing, and they're in the upper room, and they always had a slave. That slave, you, you give somebody a couple bucks, and they would come into the room because their feet were dirty, because the roads weren't paved. And so the slave would, would take off the sandals and gently wash the people's feet. That's what the lowest slave would do. Well, they came into the room, and apparently there was a bowl of water and a towel. And Peter walked by and goes, wonder who's going to do that tonight. And John went by and said, wonder who's going to do that tonight. And Andrew and Bartholomew and Thomas all walked right by the bowl. And no one did it, so no one did it. I mean, they're sitting there, they're at the dinner table, they all got dirty feet because everybody said, it must be somebody else, it's not me. And then, an incredible thing happened. Jesus gets up from the table, walks over, and takes off his outer robe and is girded with a loincloth. He gets the bowl of water and he walks over and starts washing the feet of the guys in the room. Now that's, you just got to pause on Who is Jesus? The Son of God. God in the flesh. And yet, 
the creator of the universe, the ones that John said he spoke and it was, is washing the feet of the guys in the room. Which, by the way, we know in just a few hours said, I don't know them. They all, they, they, they scattered like a, 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 a flock of cloud of cutting. They're gone. Gone. And yet Jesus washes their feet. And then he goes on and says this, you know, because Peter says, Yea, washing my feet. No, sir. I may have gone and got the towel in the bowl of water, but I'm, you're not. And Jesus said, Yeah, I've got to wash your feet. And we just then he goes, I set an example for you. In other words, saying this, not that you necessarily have to wash a person's feet because it's not like the third ordinance of the church, but he says you should be willing. As a Christ follower, you should be willing to do the most menial task for people. How crazy, how radical is that? And you go here, it gets even worse. Check this out. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul's writing to the church at Rome and says this. For when we were still without strength, um, I think the King James, the New King James says, when we were hopeless, when we were helpless. Now, you know what helpless means? You can't help yourself. You're helpless. You know, Will right now, my grandson is like, is he shy four months old? Five months old. And he doesn't do a whole lot. I mean, he'll smile at you, you know, and you feed him and, and clean him up when he does his thing. You know, but he doesn't do a whole lot. He's not a big contributor. In a lot of ways, Will, at this age in his life, is pretty helpless. Well, Paul said that, that when, when we were helpless, and just the right time, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. In just the right time, Jesus allowed. Now, please keep in mind, Jesus was not martyred, nor was he murdered. He laid his life down. Amen? He allowed himself to be nailed to an old rugged cross. And, and it was for the ungodly. And let me help you. That would be you. Because, you see... We're not godly. We're ungodly. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. That was us. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us. For you and for us. And, and then what it says. Scarcely, Paul says in verse 7, for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. You know, no one's going to die for a religious person. Some might die for a really good person. If someone really, really helped you a lot in life and you felt it's death, you may be willing to step in and take the bullet. Maybe, Paul said. But God shows, he demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, whoa, time out! Why we're still ungodly. Not that we had a big change of heart and said, Oh, Jesus, we don't follow you. No, no. While we were still ungodly, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, he didn't come in, he didn't come into the world and say, Okay, if you straighten up and fly right, then I'll die for you. He died for us, the ungodly people that we are. Is that incredible to you? I mean, we so think we're so worthy of him dying. No. 
we were fearfully wonderfully made. I know that. But we didn't deserve it. It was just God's incredible, amazing grace. It was all of us. And see, in a sense, in a sense, Jesus got to the back of the line. He had every right to be the front of the line, but when he submitted to the cross and to death and God's wrath for us, he put every one of us ahead of himself. The ultimate example of servanthood is that one on the cross. When Jesus allowed himself to die for our sins, he said, I'm going to be behind you and 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 you. I'm going behind all of you. Now, I bet you've heard what my point is. My point is this. If he did that, how can we not do otherwise? And you're going to say, well, boy, that's awful risky. It is. Jesus never said relationship was not risky. In fact, I think he said, in the world you will have tribulation. I remind you that none of the eleven, we're going to throw Judas out, that none of the original eleven became pop stars. Rock stars. Not one of them amassed great wealth. Not one of them, with the exception of John, who still was exiled on Patmos, died a natural death. All of them died for the cause of Christ. Being a Christ follower is risky business. But it's a natural response in spite of all that he did for us. You know, love is risky. You know, we are. We had a dog. And his name was Gus. I, I didn't pick the dog initially. A family got the dog and it didn't work out for them. So they passed the dog to my daughter. And she moved to an apartment where they didn't have dogs. And so by default, I became a dog owner. And that silly dog, we just waved our hearts. I mean, big time. And we loved Gus. And one April afternoon, on Saturday afternoon, he was out with me, and one minute he was sitting there, and the next minute he wasn't. And that wasn't very like him. And I started hollering Gus Gus, and the car pulled up and said, I think your dog's laying out the road. And I don't think the car ran over him. I think he ran into the car. He wasn't marked on it. He was gone. I know if you're not a dog lover, this makes no sense to you, but if you've ever had a dog that truly loved you, you know exactly what I'm saying. We risked and we lost. So we said no more dogs. We're done. And then about sometime late, months ago, six months ago, nine months ago, how long it was. Jim Lynn comes in the office. And on him, on his leash he had, is this little white ball of fur. And I said, Jim, did you get a dog? He said, no, Sassy needs a home. And my first response was, uh-uh, not again. I remember the tears and the hurt and the pain of losing the first one. I'm not going to do it again. And then she looked at me. Sassy has a home. She is so much a part of our lives. And we determined she was worth the rest. Love is risky business. Being a Christ follower in a sense 
is risky business. I'll affirm you as your pastor. It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. Be a child of God. Have the assurance and the confidence of His amazing love and amazing grace. So, so yeah, yeah, it is risky. But the overarching principle demonstrated by our Savior is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, now, the, the telling message is how does that play out in husband and wife relationships? How does it play out when a man and a woman you know, become the one flesh and become in marriage? How does that work out? And, and Paul begins telling us about that. And he tells us in verse number 22, which is probably the most abused verse in the Bible. Okay? If, you're, if I had that list up there, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands, children obey your parents, and husbands don't forsake your, your children... I mean, we have no, no, what's the most controversial one? Number two, wives submit. And it's been so mistranslated, it's been misdone, preachers have twisted this verse wrongly. And yet, if you look at the context of submitting to one another out of reverence and respect for Christ, it starts making a whole lot more sense. In fact, I was telling David, I thought it was very, very interesting. The, the word that causes all the consternation is the word submit. So the word, the verse reads this. Wives, submit to your own husband. Ask to the Lord. Now, ask to the Lord doesn't mean like ask the Lord, because he's not. That's a good place to ask me, ladies. He's not. But because of the Lord, because of you being a Christ follower, wives, submit to your husband. But here's the, I think, the funny part. I was studying, and I was using ESV, and if you look there, I have a thing that shows all the Greek words, you know. It, you know it, it'll show the word, and then you get the Greek word. Under the word submit, there's nothing. And so you read the commentary on it. Y'all check this out. I'm not pulling your leg. The word submit is not even in that verse in the Greek. It's not even there. Here, here's what the verse says in the Greek. Wise to your husbands. And what they did... They, and it's right, it's right translation. What they did was they said they borrowed the word from verse 21. Wives submit to your husband. But literally in the Greek, it's wives to your husbands. So, so what, what God is saying to the women today is simply this. Hey, as I have asked every Christ follower, would you please say every Christ follower? As I have asked every Christ follower, to show reverence, to show respect, to put themselves under one another, to get to the end of the line. Why would you do that with your husbands? In a way, he's just saying this. Don't exclude your husband from the submission that is required of all believers. Don't exclude your husband from that. Wives, to your husband. Wives, show that submissive spirit to your husbands. To be able to put yourself under but again, the exact same word, because the word's not there in the Greek, the same word that's given to every believer in Jesus Christ. I always knew that the guy got the short end of the stick in this deal. I'm sure of it now. All that's required for you ladies as wives is to do what every Christian's asked to do. To put yourself under, to show respect to another believer who happens to be your husband, who happens to be the leader of the house. And he fleshes that out and says this. For the husband is that head of the wife, even as, and here's the important part, even as Christ is head of the church. Well, yeah. Uh, his body and is himself is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives, and by the way, should submit is not there, so it says this, 
So also wives and everything to their husbands. That's it. Wives, you are simply to treat your husband as you would another believer that you're submissive to. But you do it for a different reason. You do it because the man you're married to, by God's decree, is the leader of the home. And because of that, particularly, you should put yourself under his authority. Now again, we could go into bed about, you know, in and out. A leader is, you know, that leader is it's chaos. And then with two heads is a freak. You know, you go all you want to. But the bottom line is, Paul says, ladies, submit to your husband because he's the leader of the home. Now listen. Andy Stanley said this, and I, I want to use a couple things for this message, not preaching the sermon. But he said something I agree with. And he made a comment that his wife is a much better leader than he is. And I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you two things. My wife, in many ways, is a much better leader than I am. And two, she's a whole lot more spiritual. A whole lot more spiritual. If y'all do women preachers, y'all hire her. She should be a good deal for you. But that is not, that has not removed me from being the leader of the home. Now, a wise leader will defer to someone that's smarter than you. So guess who does the money around? Judy does. You know, my, my, mantra, my doctrine of money is make it and spend it. In this world, there's so much new technology. I can buy a new gadget a week. You know, not mentioned, Rod, we've got new cars. We have new cars every week. But, but as leader, I said, you know, you're much more wise with money, so maybe you ought to have money around me. She does a great job. She's a great organizer. And we use those skills in our relationship. So, so wives, you are to submit. Okay, as the leader of the home, but keep in mind it's the same word. Now, it's really cool that there's one more little twist I want to give you. Look down at verse 33. Because Paul gives us a special way that you can submit to your husband that will help you. In verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself, check, and let the wife see that she, what's the word? Respects her husband. And that's one of the means of submission, by the way. Respect. Now, ladies, I've taught this, and other pastors have taught this, but you've got to get this. And this is straight from God's Word, as you just read. When your husband shows love to you and says, I love you, your little meter goes, ding, 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 ding. that's why God said, husbands love your wives. Your husband's ding, ding meter is really pegged with respect. When you can tell your, your husband that you love him, that you respect him, that you believe in him, when, when he fails, that you say, hey, I, I still believe in you, Man, let me tell you something. That dude goes ballistic. Men crave respect. And to me, this shows the incredible power of God's Word. That God, knowing how men were wired, starting with Adam, how men are wired, He knew we need respect. So He leads Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit say, Oh, by the way, why respect your husbands? And He say, Do you know my husband? You probably don't because he never comes to church. I spent 12 years in the Air Force. I know something about respect. There is positional respect and earned respect. Now, I'm not trying to drag politics into a sermon, but I'm going to tell you something that honestly too. I'm going to be very candid with you and tell you that as a person, I do not respect Barack Obama. I think he's against the Word of God. Okay? As a person. I, I, I'm entitled to that. 
I think this is still America. So, I, as a person, I do not respect Barack Obama. But my daddy taught me a long time ago, and the Word of God confirms it, by position, I respect him as the President of the United States. You get that? Earned respect, positional respect. He may not have earned my respect with his decisions, because I believe they do not have the Word of God, but positionally, I will show him respect. He is the President of the United States. So those of you who've got husbands that you say, Ain't no way. Ain't going to happen on good day. I remind you this. God's word says, show respect. He may have earned your respect, but positionally, according to God's word, he's in a position where you should respect him. Hopefully, you have the kind of husband that will earn respect. But if he's not done that, you need to show him respect out of reverence for Christ and because of the word of God. Show him that respect. And you might be about to surprise him, right? Then, he moves down to verse 24 through 29. Now, I'll move quickly because we're getting near the end of the hour. He, he gives the, the, the guys their... And by the way, some Andy said to... I know three Andy things is a lot for message, but I went to a conference and said, be sure you do where credit is. Okay? Husbands, if, if you're there and, and you, you, you think your wife is not submissive, and so you want to come and say, Dwayne, that verse says... The first word of that verse is wives. It's not directed to you. And ladies, the same way, if you want to come and say, my husband doesn't love me like he should, just remember the verse we used to read has husbands in front of it. Wives, you read what's for you, and husbands, you read what's for you, and we'll leave the rest of God. Amen? And by the way, if you're having, guys, if you're having to come to me and talk to me about my wife isn't submissive, there's probably a reason. And ladies, if you're saying that my wife doesn't, my husband doesn't love me, there might be a reason. Just say it. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's just Paul there. Again, isn't it cool? Women are emotional creatures. Okay? So he doesn't say, husbands, respect your wives, although you should. He says, love your wives. Because that is the ding ding leader. When my wife is loved like, like we're going to talk about, her, her meter goes off the scale. That means it's a game changer, guys. Come on. So he says, I want you to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow. Sacrifice. So, so you know the words of God, they mean sacrificial love. You know that stuff you've heard before. But, but Paul is saying, hey, husbands, in the same way that Christ loved the church, we are to love our wives. No, 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 no. Is the church perfect? Come on, I know us. No, it's not. So did Christ go, you're not good enough, so I'm not going to love you? I know. So your wife may not be perfect. I don't see a condition where it says your wife has to be perfect before you love her. It simply says, love your wife as Christ loved the imperfect church. And gave himself up for her. And look at this. This is beautiful. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
You are to love your wives as Christ loved the church for the purpose of bringing her spiritually to a new level. Gentlemen, you are the spiritual leader. Not one amen, deacons, staff people, somebody. You are the spiritual leaders of the home. And you're to love your wife in such a way that you bring her. When you stand before Christ one day, and he goes, tell me about your life. As if he didn't know. And, and you go, well, you know, she wasn't perfect, so I didn't take the family to church, and I didn't have family devotions, and I wasn't very much a husband because you know, I didn't think she deserved it. Ain't gonna work, guys. Your, one of your greatest responsibilities is to lead your family to the throne of grace and God through their lives. Sometimes the women, ladies, may not want to go to church. You just go the way around. But sometimes your wife may not want to go to church. They may not want to pray with you or read the Word of God. But you are to do everything you can to be the spiritual leader for your home. Lead your family. Be willing to die. And be willing to live for her and for them. In verse number 28. And the, it's, like, it's like he goes, okay, maybe it's appropriate so I'm getting amens. He goes, okay, you didn't get that one, let's try again. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Come on. You got this one. You get to let Mary go, I'm good looking. I have to raise her out, shave the hair off, or trim the beard. Got that cologne, and you put it all on there. You got that 14-hour deodorant, because she don't want to stay. Then you go in your closet and get the pants fit just right and shirt just right because you want to look good. And Paul said, in the same way that you take care of your body, love your body, you're supposed to love your wives. He goes on and says, no man's ever hated his flesh, but nurses and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we're members. So wives, you are to submit, put yourself under, and the main driving force for that reason is your husband is the spiritual leader of the home. So you're to submit to him in that way. Husbands, you're to love your wives and your family as, as Christ has loved his church. He's willing to die for it for the express purpose of being the spiritual leader you should be. Listen, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. I'm just going to tell you something. If you've worked and amassed up, if, you're, if you climb the corporate ladder, if you work enough overtime, and your kids all wear the right labels, and you all drive the right cars, and you're in the right part of the neighborhood with the right kind of house, and you lose your family spiritually, you've lost. You've lost. The most important thing is the priest that you are to your family. What kind of priest are you? What kind of spiritual leader? And then he continues to thought. Finally, verse number 31 goes this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And here's, this is so powerful. In the same way, in the same way that nothing can separate Christ and his church. Nothing. Who can separate us from the love of Paul went on and on and said, 
Isaac means that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He says, and the same way that nothing can separate Christ from the church. So men, it's your responsibility to lead your family in such a way that that one flesh is maintained. I thought about saying this this morning. I was getting dressed. I believe it's true. It's not always true. But it principally, it's, it's a bold truth. When a woman, a wife, looks at other pastors, it's because, it's okay to use the word bull, is not caring for her the way that it should. I'm not, there, there are women who just go astray. I understand that. But by and large, when mama's happy and her needs are being met at home and she's being loved, she don't look at another pastor. Guys, I think, I'm trying to tell you that the responsibility to maintain that one flesh, keep the marriage solid, rest on us. Now I'm telling you, if you'll love your wife as Christ loved the church, and you'll be the spiritual leader, you will so greatly reduce the chance of divorce in your family. I wish I could say eliminate it to people or people, but you'll greatly reduce it. Just like the church is uncertain. So can the wife and the husband. So, what do we do with all this? Well, here's our options. If you're here today and you're a non-believer, first off, and I won't, because of time, I won't go, I hope you heard enough of the gospel today to understand this. But I would not recommend religion to you, I would not recommend church to you, but I will recommend Jesus to you. He is a game changer in life. So the first thing I would say to you today is, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ and invited him to your life to be your Lord and Savior, to be your boss, to be your King of Kings, that would be my first invitation today. For me, it's about 38 years ago, and I'm telling you, he doesn't make me perfect, but I'm telling you, he's changed my life and continuously changes my life. That's why. But if you're a non-believer, you're saying, I'm not interested in Jesus, may I encourage you to do this? You can take some of this truth you heard today and apply it. I mean, if you learn to love your wife, you can't do this Christ love the church because you don't have a clue what that's about. But you can love your wife. And wives, you can respect your husbands. You know, some of this stuff will help some. It won't have the power of the gospel. It won't have God's power in the land. But if you're a non-believer, there's some good principles that you can apply to your marriage. Now, what if you are a Christian? Have y'all noticed something? I rarely use the word Christian. You know why? Because everybody in America is a Christian. It ain't working. The word Christian means Christ-like. And most people say, I'm a Christian. They don't act like it. And, and Christians only use word. His word is only used twice in the whole Bible. Both of them, the world calls people that. And they're pretty negative. So, because it's so wide open what a, what a Christian is and what a Christian does, good luck. <laughs> If you say, I'm a Christian, and that's all it is, good luck. You can find some of the principles of my work. So what word would you recommend, Blaine? Disciple. Would you be willing today, if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, to move from being a, just a Christian to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ? Um, I, I was talking to a young lady about trusting Jesus, and I drew a squiggly line, a line like that. I said, you know what that is? She goes, a squiggly line. I said, yeah, it's a trail and I said, when we ask Jesus in our heart, we're willing to follow the Jesus tree. 
And I want to pray today that you have trusted Jesus Christ your Savior, that you're going to move beyond just say, I'm a Christian, and do then do whatever you want to do, to be a Christ follower, to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, to, to take the teachings you heard today, which I hope you consider biblically sound, and say, yes, I will submit to my husband, and yes, I will love my wife. And we will submit to one another on that overarching Six years ago, maybe five years ago, we made our last trip to this year. I really didn't know it was going to be the last trip. I had a thought in mind because things were changing politically. And that day, I brought home my, I wore crops in Africa. And I brought them home and left them just as they are. And the shoes are totally covered with African dust. And they sit today in a closet, or me in a display case at my home. It reminds me of African dust. God, may I keep African dust on my feet. A friend was sharing with me. And he described following Jesus in these terms. Do we have the dust of Jesus on our lives? Can you imagine being a a Christ follower back in those days and you were walking behind Jesus and he walked the dusty trails and kicked up dust and that dust stuck to you? Are we following Christ so closely that we have the dust of Jesus on us? That's what disciples us. Following Christ so closely that his dust is on us. So if you're a non-believer today, I would encourage you to come. I'll be waiting down front today. I would love to tell you about friend, Jesus Christ. If, and, and again, that term Christian, I understand for me it's very precious and I don't mean to mean it. But let's just be honest, to so many people it's just a big generic term. It means however we want to interpret it. Because the Bible doesn't interpret, interpret what a Christian is. We interpret for ourselves. And America's done that. I hope you'll be a disciple. I hope in this arena you'll be a disciple of Jesus. You will submit, you will love as Christ. Thanks, God, for this opportunity to share your word today. God, we need this. We need this desperately. Father, families are crumbling around us. And we buy books, and we try new habits and trends. But it's you and your lordship that is a game changer in marriage. First, I pray for my friends here today. And I don't believe anybody's here by accident. I believe it's your own purpose. So if you've spoken to someone's heart today, would you give them the courage to come? Take me by the hand and say, Dwayne, I want to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, for those of us who have already made that decision, may we today choose to be disciples. Father, I pray for the ladies who are wives in this building. Father, some of them may find themselves in this of very difficult circumstances. Give them the courage for Christ's sake to love, to respect, to submit their husbands and their husbands. Father, for us, God, Father, I know it's, it is impossible for me to love Judy like you love the church without your help. It's just not in me. It's not in any of us. But Philippians 4.13 is true that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
and that becomes a game changer. So Father, may we love our wives as Christ loved the church. May we rise to be the spiritual leaders that you have called us to be. And Father, may marriages be restored, may marriages be healed, may marriages be strengthened. In Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.